Let me invite you now to stand and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and I'll read verses 1 through 5 to you. We're in a series in Romans that started weeks ago back in chapter 1, verse 1. And here in this passage, what you're going to find is the answer to the biggest question of life. Namely, do you have peace with God? The biggest question of life is not what you're going to do with your life, what your career is, where you'll go to college, will the Dallas Cowboys stop embarrassing me? Those are not the biggest questions of life. Biggest question of life, scripturally and spiritually speaking, is do you have peace with God? So this morning, we'll look at where that peace comes from how to have it, and what is the result in our lives. So Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Let's pray together. Lord, how we ask for your guidance, your spirit to guide us and lead us in all truth as you've promised, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would remind us that you're the Lord of the universe, that we have nothing to dread, nothing to fear if we have trusted in you. Encourage our hearts together now as we look at your word, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Years ago, my family took a trip to Colorado, and we hiked out to a beautiful spot to have a picnic. And just to paint the picture for you, we were picnicking right next to, uh, well, we would call it a river, but it was a creek in Colorado. All the snow melt had come down from the mountains, and this creek was flowing, beautiful sound of rushing water, surrounded by lodgepole pines out in God's creation, it was a serene, peaceful setting. And so I thought to myself, you know, this is so peaceful, so serene, so nice. I'm going to take my camera, take my uh, uh, phone, and film one minute of continuous this river flowing so that when I get back from vacation and I'm all stressed out, I can play that video and, and, and be reminded of that peace and that serenity. Yeah, it didn't work. I wanted to take that peace with me back from vacation. And think about it for a moment. You know, how long does it take you to get stressed again when you return from vacation? Peace is elusive, isn't it? We can have it one minute and... Maybe you think to yourself, oh, I'm pretty peaceful today because you know you don't have to go to work tomorrow. You might be peaceful now, but peace is elusive. It sort of comes and then 
It can leave. You can get involved in a conflictual situation, either with another person or some other source of conflict, and peace is elusive. All of us last year in 2020 had our peace disturbed, didn't we, through a global pandemic. And so peace is elusive. And what this passage talks to us about is that if you have peace with God, He gives us that peace This greater peace is not elusive, but it is permanent peace. And that peace that we can have with God comes to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks about this peace in that passage you heard read uh, earlier in our worship service, John 14, 27. Peace I leave you, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know, we have a lot of troubled people these days. We have a lot of people who are afraid. And what we see from that passage, John 14, 27, is if we have that peace with Jesus Christ, there is no reason we have to be afraid. No reason to be troubled. Peace with God is about embracing what the Savior has done for us. Now, just by way of review, remember that peace with God is the greatest question of life and that all of us have the same starting line. What do I mean by that? All of us begin life at enmity with God, at enmity with Him. And what do I mean by that? Well, God is holy and we are sinners. And we cannot have a relationship with God except something changes. And that something is God sending Jesus Christ for us. And through Christ's perfect life, sacrifice, and rising again from the dead, we are given peace with God. God is a just God. The penalty for sin must be paid. And so the way we have peace with him is through Jesus Christ. That's what our passage tells us. Now, people try to have peace with God other ways. Uh, No one really says this. Uh, You know, no one says, I'm earning my way to heaven. But a person might say, if you were to ask them, uh, they might say, well, I'm a good person. That's what's going to uh, help me get to heaven, is that I'm a good person. But if you turn back in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, look at the end of verse 10. Romans 3.10 reminds us that we're at enmity with God. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. So the next time somebody says to you, well, I'm a good person, you can say, hmm, Romans 3.12, no one does good, not even one. The reality is, spiritually, is that we cannot help ourselves. We cannot reconcile, we cannot fix what is broken with us between us and God. All of us have that same starting line, 
that we're at enmity with God. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God himself, though, loved his creation. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He sent Christ to us to give us the peace we so desperately need. And so peace with God is really what our heart longs for. The perfect relationship we have with God, the peace with God, determines not only where you spend eternity, but it determines your now and the quality of spiritual life you enjoy now. So my first question I want to answer, first point here, is how do we have this peace? How do we have this peace with God? And that's the subject of verses 1 and the first part of verse 2. Look with me there, back Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we have this peace? It's because we have been justified by faith through Jesus Christ. Now, to be justified, and I preached a sermon about this on June 13th, uh, and you can go back on our website and listen to that, and I unpack justification and what that is from Romans 3.21 through 31. But just in brief, justification is the declaration from God that we are righteous before Him, that our enmity has been settled and we now have peace with God. You see, Christianity is more than just about forgiveness. Christianity is not only forgiveness, but Christianity involves this justification, which is what? It is a declaration from God that we are righteous, that He is no longer angry with us. Do you see, if we only make Christianity about forgiveness, we are leaving out this wonderful truth of justification, which is a status change where you go from sinner to being treated like a saint. And that's the glorious truth of the gospel, is that if you are found in Christ, His righteousness by faith is given to you. So when God looks at our life, though we still struggle with sin and will until we take our last breath in this life, though we still struggle with sin, God sees our status as justified. And we are His beloved, and Zechariah 3.17 tells us He rejoices over us with singing in Christ. All is well between God and us because of what Christ did. So that's how you have peace with God. It's through Jesus Christ, by faith, Christ's righteousness imputed to us, given to us. So we have a borrowed status, as it were, but it is a permanent conveyance of this righteousness that comes from Christ that enables us to have peace with God. And one of the privileges of that peace, look in verse 2 of Romans 5, through him we have also obtained access by faith access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You see, this access we have where we can pray to God and ask good things from Him, that access comes because we have peace with God through Christ. So we have access. It also means 
that we not only have access, but we enjoy God's presence. He can have everything to do with us because the relationship between God and us, which was once at enmity, is now reconciled. And we have peace with God, so we have access to His enabling grace, which empowers us to live for Him. Now, how do you apply this? Well, if you're not a Christian, and we understand that perhaps not everyone is a Christian here, or if you're streaming online or listening to this as a recording, if you're not a Christian, you need this peace. And my encouragement to you is take hold of this peace for the first time through belief. In other words, stop trying to work your way to heaven. Because when we say we're working our way to heaven, or if we say we are good, what essentially we have done is we have underestimated God's holiness and we have overestimated our righteousness. In an attempt to bridge the infinite gulf between a holy God and sinners like us, when we say, oh, I'm a good person, when we say, I'm trying to be good enough for God, what we are doing there is we are underestimating our sin problem, and we are overestimating our own self-righteousness while we underestimate God's absolute holiness. So if you're not a Christian, you need this peace. Because if you have peace with God, the world can be falling apart, and it is well with your soul. If you're a Christian, and you have peace with God, and you have believed on Jesus Christ, no matter what happens in this life, it is well with your soul. That's easier said than done, right? But you know that the greatest problem in your life is solved through Jesus Christ. And so what I'm getting at here is if you're already a Christian, the way you apply this is I want you to pay attention to and notice those moments of unsettledness and anxiety in your life and in your soul. You know what I'm talking about when someone's telling you, oh, did you hear about you know, something that happened that's just wacky. You know, when someone says that, and then your, your anxiety and your unsettledness, it just kind of goes up a little bit. Oh, I can't believe that that's what's going on in our world now, or that's what's going on in our country. What I'm getting at is that worry is a sin. Worry is a sin. Worry means I don't trust God. So I'm trying to exert control in order to bring about the result that I want. A lack of peace in your life due to worry means you don't believe that God is in control of this universe, of every facet of this universe. The cure for worry, now I recognize, I mean, we got stuff to be worried about we hadn't even heard of two years ago. There's a lot to worry about. But the cure for worry is not me telling you, stop worrying. Let me try it again. Really, stop worrying. It didn't work, did it? 
in order to really stop worrying, you have to have something come along that is greater than your worrying, that unseats that habit of trying to exert control through your worry, come along. And the greater thing that comes along, that has come, is this peace with God, knowing that no matter what you face in this life, no matter how much the world falls apart, we know who can put it back together. No matter what the future holds, we know who holds the future. And if you have peace with God, notice those moments of unsettledness. What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? And take that to the Lord and understand that it finds itself in the context of having the greatest question of the universe answered, namely, that you are at peace with God. And if you're at peace with God, then it is well with your soul. And so pay attention to your moments of unsettledness, your worry. And sometimes, you know, you may say, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. Have you ever said that? I'm just concerned. Next time somebody says, I'm concerned, say, no, you're actually worried. And worry is a sin. I heard my preacher say, worry is a sin. So a lot of times we will say, we will call worry by a more palatable term. I'm concerned, but it's really just worry. And we're called to really reevaluate our priorities. A lot of us worry because something has been challenged in our life and there is a threat to something we hold dear. And so if you're at risk of losing something, your worry and your anxiety goes up. That's how it happens. But instead of worrying and being anxious, we're called to turn that over to the Lord, understanding that He is in control, that He is Lord, that He is sovereign. Now we have an example we looked at last week. From Romans chapter 4, the example, look up in verse 21. What kind of faith are we called to have? We're called to have a faith like Abraham had. What was his faith? It's told us here. Chapter 4, verse 21. A faith that is what? Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Are you fully convinced? that God is able to do what He's promised? Are you fully convinced? Do you have that kind of faith that is fully convinced? And if you don't have that kind of faith, that you would say, God, help me to have a faith that would be fully convinced. That you would talk to God about that. That you would say, help me in the midst of not being convinced to be fully convinced. So that you would know in your moments of unsettledness, worry, and anxiety that you can trust Him. That you can be fully convinced that He has not let you down. That He has not broken His promises to you. That you can trust Him. Nothing in this world can edit, change, or cancel the believer's peace with God. Nothing can. Once that is settled, once you're justified, it cannot be undone. It cannot be canceled. And so the call for us as Christians is to live confident of that. 
We need to live our theology. If we believe that God is in control, then he's really in control. And we're called to live that way. And so, it's news worth celebrating, isn't it? That no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens, what you face in this world, whatever comes to pass, that you can still celebrate that you have peace with God. And that leads me to my next point here. The next point in the text, what do we do with this peace? Well, when we have this peace, we rejoice. We rejoice. So through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And what happens? We rejoice. We re- Our rejoicers got broken during COVID, didn't they? Sometimes we need to, I, I like to say, we need to let our theology catch up to our face. We rejoice in all that God is doing and experiencing the joy of what it means to be saved. When you go through a hard time, indeed, it can affect our ability to rejoice. And we're called here to rejoice, not based on our circumstances, but instead based on this justification by faith that gives us peace with God. And so the rejoicing is based on something that doesn't change the peace we have with God. And we're told here to rejoice in two different occasions, two different situations. First, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, this is Paul's way of looking into the future and saying the entire universe has a purpose, and that purpose is the glory of God. Everything is headed to the glory of God. And that causes us to rejoice, and we can have hope that the glory of God will be achieved, that we will see God get the glory. Now, shortly after I became a Christian, and this was being explained to me, that all the universe heads towards God's glory, that His great purpose in the world is that He would receive the glory. And you know what I thought about that? I thought, well, it's kind of self-centered. You know, God's kind of self-centered. He wants all the glory. And then somebody had to explain to me, no, this isn't self-centered. If God really is great, and He is, then He deserves all the glory. And that's the thing you're going to see. If you belong to Christ and you get to heaven, you will get to heaven, the moment first millisecond of heaven justifies your worship for the rest of eternity. God is that great. You see, sometimes we think, oh, you know, if heaven is unending church, that's not heaven. (laughs) Sometimes we think that that has everything to do with our theology, what you think about God. If you do not think the highest and greatest thoughts of God, then indeed, you will not look forward to heaven. But I will tell you this, that that first millisecond of heaven, when we see the greatness of God, when those who belong to him experience and see the greatness of God, it will justify our worship for the rest of eternity. He is that great. And what I'm getting at is, he deserves all the glory. This is not self-centered. He is that great that He deserves all the glory of the universe. And so we hope 
our hope is of the glory of God. In other words, that this universe achieves its purpose. That the whole universe will achieve that purpose of God getting the glory. And that gives us great hope because we anticipate it. Hope is the anticipation of a future outcome that is good. And so we have hope because of this peace with God that we have, that the glory of God will be achieved in all its fullness. So you can think of it this way. The Greek word telos is the end, uh, the purpose, the grand end of everything is the telos. And the telos of God and of this universe is his glory. And we rejoice because that's going to be achieved no matter what you face in this life, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we rejoice on another occasion. Remember, I told you there were two. What's the other occasion? This is a hard one. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. The bad news is sufferings is plural. There are many of them. There are many sufferings, and your circumstances don't change the call that God has in your life to rejoice even in the midst of suffering. Now, why would we rejoice in suffering? Well, we're told here that what suffering brings about is worth more than that which we lose in the suffering. Do you follow that? The things we gain in the suffering are better than eternally significant things are better than that which we lose in the suffering. Look at verse 3. Where does the suffering lead us? Knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance, perseverance. This is the uh, increased dependency upon God, a fuller conviction in what is true about him and his word that is revealed to us that only the experience of suffering can bring us. This is more valuable than what we lose, that this endurance of faith that pushes us to persevere all the way to the end. So the sufferings produce endurance. Endurance produces what? Character, verse 4, character. So the endurance we gain and the character sometimes translated proven character. This is part of the sanctification process, the, the progress in the Christian life that we are being made more and more in the image of Christ. And so this character speaks to the changes that happen to our character where we are formed more and more after the image of our Savior. That is more valuable than our comfort or our lack of suffering. And so those are two things that suffering brings about. Endurance, character, and the character leads us back to hope. Back to hope. And hope, we read in verse 5, does not put us to shame. In other words, you will never be disappointed that you are a Christian in heaven. You will, you will not be put to shame. In other words, disappointed that you believe that way. And then in verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
believers are indwelled by the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as evidence that God loves us and delights in us, that we have peace with Him. And so we experience that peace. Paul would later call this in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, a peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Such that, what's, a, what's kind of the conclusion here? I can say whatever happens to me is all for God's glory. No matter what I suffer, no matter what I lose in this life, it is still well with my soul. That is not a denial that bad things happen. We live in a fallen world. But it is a confidence in having the peace with God that my soul truly longs for. Any Christian can say, even if I suffer unto death, it's all good because I have peace with God. Even if I suffer unto death, it's all good because I have peace with God. You know what I just did there? I'm just paraphrasing what Job says in Job 13, 15. What does he say? He says, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Fully convinced. Remember Romans 4, 21? Fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised. That's the faith we have because we have peace with God. For all eternity, as I mentioned, you will never be sorry you lived for Jesus or suffered as a Christian. In the moments of our temptation and suffering, when we think God has abandoned us, we know we have His Spirit and His love has been poured out to us. In 2013, my wife and I took a sailing trip on a real sailboat, a 50-foot-long sailboat in the Caribbean. It was part of this organization called New Wind Ministry, and they brought, they would bring ministers. If you could fly yourself down there, I mean, this is a good deal. They would, they would take you around for a week uh, in the Caribbean. Uh, Every year since 2013, I've asked to go again. It hadn't happened yet, but I'm hoping And so we get on this boat, and I mean, it is a pristine setting down in St. Martin. And we're in the lagoon of the harbor. Oh, it's just, it looks like a postcard. All these sailboats, beautiful Caribbean waters. And so we get on the sailboat. They provisioned it. We have all, uh, we get the safety briefing, everything. And we get on the boat, and they, they take the boat out of the harbor, and we're not, we're, we're going to turn to the windward side of the island. And, you know, the harbor is protected on three sides, and they, they come. We're not 50 feet into the deep blue water. I'm at the back of the boat getting sick. I'm a land-loving Texan with no sea legs. And I'm like, what have I signed up for? I thought this was going to be a nice sailing trip. 
And you know, the, the waves, there were four-foot waves, okay? What does that mean? Well, one, those are not big waves, but that means you're going up four, and then you're down into the trough four. That's eight feet of travel, eight feet of travel on this boat. So I'm at the back of the boat feeding the fish, <laughs> and they tell me, you need to look at the horizon. Put your face into the wind and look into the horizon. Because, you know, the boat's doing this, but the horizon doesn't change. Fix your eyes on what doesn't change. Face the wind and you'll be okay. And, and sure enough, anytime for the rest of the week when I start feeling sick, I'd be looking at the horizon, facing the wind. And it did something to your senses to orient you if you weren't used to, if you didn't have sea legs like I did. Now, here's the thing. I mentioned already we have things to worry about that we didn't know we should worry about two years ago. And also, let me throw this in there, that the world you grew up in is not the world we're living in. Do you want to know why so many people are worried and anxious? Because the world you grew up in, that is gone. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you are older, then the world has changed more from that point. And the world is different than the world we grew up in. And that causes us anxiety. There are dear things that we have lost along the way in this journey. There are many waves, and there are many storms, but we're called to do the same thing. Look at the horizon. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Nothing has changed with Him. That in the midst of the waves and the wind, that you and I, as Christians, would fix our eyes on Jesus. There are things going on in this country I don't agree with, and I'm sure you don't either. But sometimes we care more about losing what we have gained or having what we have worked hard for taken away for, from us. We worry more about that. We're concerned more about that than God getting the glory. It's been said that the more you have, the more you tend to protect what you have and the more you worry over whether it will be lost. And I don't rejoice or like the direction of things, but we need to remember who the Lord is. What if the very condition of our world and our country is exactly what it is that God may be given the greater glory as the kingdom advances? After all, you heard read to you, from the book of Revelation, Revelation 17, 14, they will make war on the Lamb. Those are the waves. They will make war on the Lamb. And what do we read next? The Lamb will conquer them. Why is it as Christians we act like, and we certainly worry like, and we certainly fear like, we are on the losing side? Or that the outcome is somehow in doubt. 
They will make war on the lamb. And it doesn't say the lamb might conquer them. Or we sure hope the lamb will conquer them. We are assured the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords, King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. What if my suffering leads to a greater dependency on the Lord? What if what I lose in this world can't be compared to the endurance, character, and hope that I have in the glory of God? It doesn't make me rejoice when bad things happen or the fact that we live in a fallen world when that comes into full relief in my experience but it helps me to rejoice to know who is really in control who is really lord of this universe and that if i have peace with him then no matter what happens no matter what i face no matter what you face if you've trusted in christ that we can be confident that it will all be for his glory Many people tell me the sky is falling, but the Lamb will conquer. And we are called to live into that perfect peace and to live our theology with the perfect peace that God has given us by faith through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for the peace that we have from you and how we rejoice that sinners like us are forgiven, loved, and in Christ given the Spirit. And we pray you would help us to rejoice even in our suffering. Help us to rejoice knowing that the things that we lose are not worth what we spiritually gain with you. We pray for the kind of faith that Abraham had, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust you more and more. In our moments of unsettledness, anxiety, and worry, may we find newfound confidence and trust in the one who has never broken a promise. And we pray that would give us the confidence we need to... Fix our eyes on Jesus, even in the midst of the storms of this life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.